today's passage, or the sermon, is on John 21, verse 4 through 19. You can find that in your bulletin, or if you bought a, a Bible, you can read along there. Hear the word of God. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Thank you, Eric. All right. Uh, if you want to follow along, there is a, an outline on the back of the bulletin. Sometimes people find that helpful for uh, kind of gauging where we are in the message. We've been looking at, uh, for the last number of weeks, we've been looking at um, Jesus' relationship with his, uh, with his disciples, and particularly his relationship with his disciple Peter, which has been like totally up and down. Um, one minute, Peter is like 
on fire for Jesus and totally on board with what Jesus' mission is all about. And then the next minute, Peter is questioning Jesus. And then the next minute, he's saying to Jesus, I'm going to go with you to death if I have to. And then the next minute, he's denying that he even has a relationship with him. It's like all over the place. And we've been sort of exploring how uh, Peter's relationship with Jesus is in some ways a reflection of many of our relationships with Jesus. We're not exactly the most uh, stable in terms of our relationship with Jesus either. And we're looking at this final uh, interaction between Jesus and Peter as it's recorded in John chapter 21. Um, But let me start uh, this way. In, in the play, A Man for All Seasons, which some of you may know about, it's about, um, it's about the Chancellor of England, Thomas Moore, during the time of King Henry VIII. And King Henry wants to uh, divorce his wife so that he can marry another woman. And uh, he wants the Pope to allow that, and of course the Pope won't allow that. And so he wants to break from Rome and start the Church of England and so that he can have his own his own, uh, his, this divorce and this other relationship. And, and Thomas More is the Chancellor of England at the time, and he's trying to enlist More's support for this. And More can't do it. He won't do it. He believes it's wrong. He believes that what uh, Henry VIII is doing is wrong. And so he refuses to go along with it. So Henry puts him in prison, and uh, he threatens to have him put to death. And at one part of the play... Uh, his daughter, Thomas More's daughter, comes to him while he's in prison and she's trying to convince him to basically give in. She basically says, look, your life is really important and he's going to kill you and what's the big deal if you just give in? You don't have to really believe it. You just say it and, and, and that way you'll be able to live. And, and Thomas More, he, he says to his, to his daughter, Meg, he says, look, when you take an oath, when you make a very important promise, you, you take yourself in your hands, as it were, like, like holding, holding water in your hands. And, and when you break that promise, you, you open your hands and, and you, in a sense, you lose yourself the way you would lose that water. And you could never find it back again. And what he was getting at was this. Maybe you're like, maybe you've had this. When you, uh, let's say you have a very strong conviction and a very strong belief in something, and it's very, very important to you and it matters deeply to you, but somewhere along the line, I don't know how it happens. To be honest with you, it's mysterious to me, but somewhere along the line, you find yourself in a circumstance where you break that promise. You break that vow. You go against your convictions. And what you'll discover, this has happened to me, okay, and, and, and probably to some of you it's happened as well. What you discover is, is you begin to ask this question, who am I? You don't even know who you are anymore because you see your identity, your character, who you are at root, at bottom is supposed to be something that is the same in all circumstances. It's, it's stable in all circumstances. And, and you, you begin to ask yourself, well, I don't even know who I am anymore. If I am capable of that, if I am able to do that, if I can break that conviction, do I even have any convictions? And that's what Thomas More was saying to his daughter, that when, when he breaks a conviction, it, 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 it's an attack on his very identity, on who he is. 
Well, this is precisely what happened to Peter. See, Peter had made an oath. Uh, if you go back to the Last Supper when Jesus is with his disciples in that upper room, Peter says some things. Matthew 26 records what Jesus says in verses 31 to 33. It says, Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. This is verse 33. Then Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. He stood up and made this vow. I will stick with you. And as we saw last week, we... We know that he didn't. He stood up and he said, even if everybody else leaves you, no one's one's as committed to you like I am, Jesus. No one is is all in for you like I am. And then barely uh, uh, hours later, he denies his Savior three times. He betrays his best, closest, most intimate friend, his Lord. He, He hangs him out to dry. He throws him under the bus, whatever you want to call it. What could be worse, eh? What could be worse? Who's going to listen to Peter now? Who's going who's to follow his leadership? Remember that, that Jesus said, Peter, your name is Peter. Your name is Rock. I am going to build my church on your confession that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. I am going to, to, to build my church. You're going to be a pillar in my church. You're going to be a leader in my church. Who's going to listen to Peter now? He can't lead anybody with any kind of integrity because he doesn't even know who he is. Well, what we discover in this story this morning is that all is not lost for Peter. I hope that, I hope that statement is good news enough for some of you here this morning who are feeling like you completely suck You are so weak. You're so unable to hold any kind of integrity in your spiritual life. You're so unable to to stand up for Jesus in the face of any kind of pressure. And you think, man, why would he bother to have anything to do with me? This story shows us that there's hope for you. There's hope for me. There's hope for Peter because Jesus restores Peter. The resurrected Jesus who who broke the chains of sin and death and hell in order to restore absolutely everything, he starts with his dear friend. That's what resurrection is about, you see. It's about restoration. Jesus came to live for us. He came to die for us. He came to, to, to to, to be raised to life again for us so that he could restore all things, to fix what was broken. And he starts here with, the, with Peter, and we're going to look at how this morning, how Jesus starts with Peter uh, and shows us that there is hope for you and for me in terms of being res- re- restored, being resurrected, okay? Here we go. Jesus restores Peter, and the first step of Jesus restoring Peter is actually a reconstruction of Peter's denial, which is what we looked at on Good Friday just a couple of days ago. Jesus reconstructs Peter's denial. He goes back to that. In verse 9 of our passage, it says this, when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals with the, uh, with the fish on it and some bread. John draws attention to the fact that there's a fire here. 
And unless you know the story, the whole story of the last couple of days, you can easily go, hmm, whatever, okay, there's a fire, and they're going to eat something, that's fine. But you got to remember that there was a fire in the courtyard on Good Friday, the night that Jesus was tried before the Sanhedrin. Peter was around a fire with a whole bunch of people. This is purposely done. It goes on in verse 15, Jesus says um, to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? And he's reminding Peter of how just two days earlier, he was thumping his chest and promising that he loved Jesus and that he was going to go, he was going to prison or he was even willing to die uh, with Jesus. And then he three times asked that question, do you truly love me more than these? Do you truly love me? Do you truly love me? He asked him three times, reminding Peter of the three denials, right? And so what he's doing is, is he's reconstructing that moment in Peter's experience. The question is, why? Is he doing it to kind of like rub salt in the wounds, remind him of, of how far he had fallen? No. He, he's doing this publicly and openly because Peter publicly and openly denied him and, and uh, ruined his relationship with Jesus in a sense, and he's doing it to restore him by forcing Peter to see the truth. He's saying, Peter, look, we're at the end of denial now. We're, we're at the end of, of putting on airs. We're at the end of trying to spin things, okay? Have you ever heard, have you heard the phrase that, uh, you know, he, he or she must hit rock bottom before they'll change? Jesus is bringing Peter to that place. Dan Allender, who is a, a very good uh, Christian psychologist and counselor, he, he, he writes that the work of restoration cannot begin until a problem is fully faced. And I can tell you right now, this is a principle that you better learn ASAP. If you want to really deal with a problem in your life and in your heart, if you want to really face it and really tackle it and really change it, the very first step is you have to be completely 100% honest with yourself about what that problem is. The scope, the scope of it, the size of it, the depth of it, you need to embrace it all, you need to take ownership of it, you need to admit this is how big it is, this is how dangerous it is, this is how powerless I am to deal with it and overcome it. If you don't do that, any counselor worth their salt will tell you, if you don't do that, you are just fiddling around the margins. You are just playing around with the problem. You will be able to accomplish a little behavior modification. You will be able to maybe change your habits a little bit and, and be able to straighten out for a little while, but you will not be able to truly root out whatever it is that's, that's the problem. You have to hit rock bottom by being completely open and honest and, and taking complete and total ownership of whatever that thing is. I think I've said this before, it's almost like if you can get to that place, almost any method of counseling or therapy uh, can be successful. There are certain types that are better than others, of course, and, and you know, this isn't a sermon on <laughs> different types of counseling, but the point is this, you got to own it. But I know, like, you're all sitting here going, well, you're all, many of you are sitting here going, 
oh, that is a terrifying prospect. I am terrified to admit how screwed up I am. I am terrified to admit how deep my problem runs. You have no idea if I, if I let loose or be honest about just how bloody angry I am. I will put my head through a wall. If I am honest and totally truthful about just how ensnared by pornography I am, the people who know me in my life, they will be so disgusted by me, they'll never talk to me again. And now you're telling me that I gotta be completely and totally open and honest? Well, you don't have to be completely and totally open and honest with me necessarily, but you certainly do with him. Yeah, but you can. This is the wonder of the Christian faith. This is the amazing thing about the gospel. You can. Look at what happens, okay? This is point number two. Yes, Jesus reconstructs Peter's denial, but look at what happens. Peter, he goes there. Jesus takes him there. He sees with his own eyes in, in, in new ways just how how heinous and how horrible what he did really was. He, he feels the pain of, of conviction of sin and he responds with repentance. With true repentance. Not just remorse, not just I feel bad, but actual true repentance. And how do we know that? Look at his response. In verse 15, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me, truly love me more than these? Now be very Listen carefully to how Peter responds. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. That's all he says. And Jesus asks him again, Peter, do you truly love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. That's all he says. He asks him again, Peter, do you truly love me? And what does Peter say? Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. I can't fool you. I can't trick you. I'm not even going to try. Gone. Gone is all the bravado, all the bluster, you know, all the bombast, all the, the machismo. Hey, you hear that accent? Machismo. All these grandiose claims, I'm with you to the bitter end. I will be there when no one else will be there. I am so pumped. I am so sold out for you, Jesus. No, there is a profound humility. All he says is, you know that I love you. He doesn't compare himself to anybody else. It's not about anybody else anymore. It's not about, do I love you more than Tom? Do I love you more than John? Do I love you more than James? Am I going to be a better follower of you and preacher of your gospel than, than Paul or, or uh, uh, Thomas or any of these guys? No, it's just, it's just you and me, Jesus. And you know, you know I love you. Peter's done trying to spin things, Okay. He's, trying, he's done trying to be what he is not. He has been white-knuckling it all this time, trying to, trying to show that he is the man. But not anymore. 
He's not trying to look good. He's just, he's just Peter. You remember the first meeting? We, it's kind of neat. We're, we started with Peter and Jesus and a fishing story, and we're ending with Peter and Jesus and a fishing story. And you remember the first meeting with Peter that Jesus has with, with Peter. He tells him to catch some fish, and Peter catches some fish. And as soon as Peter catches the fish and he recognizes who Jesus is, he goes, ah, get away from me, I'm a sinner. He's terrified of him. He doesn't want to get close to him. He's ashamed of himself. And this time, Jesus says, hey, catch some fish. I want you to go fishing. They go fish. They catch a bunch of fish. Peter recognizes it's Jesus. And what does it say that, Jesus, that Peter does? He doesn't say, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. He sees Jesus. He gets a big, fat smile on his face. He grabs his clothing. He ties it around him. He, he jumps off the boat. You guys ever see, uh... oh, come on, brain work. Uh, Forrest Gump. In the movie Forrest Gump, there's a scene where Forrest is on a shrimping boat, and there's this guy he loves. Lieutenant Dan! Lieutenant Dan! This is a guy he loves, Lieutenant Dan. And he sees Lieutenant Dan on the, on the shore while he's going by in his boat, and he says, Lieutenant Dan! And he just runs right off the boat. <laughs> Splash, right? That's exactly what Peter does. Peter sees Jesus, he runs right off the boat, and he goes chasing after him. Why? Why? Listen, if you're here this morning and, and you're not a Christian, or you don't know if you're a Christian, people, people think Christianity is all about being good somehow so that God will love you. And maybe you're here and you're thinking, if that's what Christianity is, being good so that God will love you, then I, this just isn't for me. I can't do this. Because I am not good. You've got stuff in your past, you've got behaviors, you've got actions, you've got thoughts and feelings, you've got over life-dominating sins, you've got addictions, you've got a, a whole host, a whole pile of history sitting behind you that makes you think, I could not cut it. This can't be for me. I'm not good enough to take that step and say, I believe in Jesus. Why would he ever accept me? Look at Peter. Look at this man who had betrayed this Jesus, who had taken three separate opportunities to deny him, to say, I don't know him. I have nothing to do with him. I, 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 I completely divest myself of him. And here he is now after having done that, running to Jesus, jumping off the boat for Jesus. Why? Because as a total failure, Peter understands that he's accepted. Remember in the, remember in the courtyard, Jesus looked to Peter. He, he has that look to Peter after Peter denies Jesus. And it's this look of compassion and this look of love and this look of, 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 of empathy. And that wrecked Peter. And it prepared him for this moment so that when he was confronted by this Lord Jesus again, he wasn't put off by him. He was, he was, he couldn't, he was irresistibly drawn to him. Because, because he was honest about who he was. 
He repented of his sin. Now, what happens then? And this is the incredible thing. And this is, this is, this is like the punchline, if I can put it that way. See, Jesus doesn't bring Peter to repentance just to say, Peter, I forgive you, okay? He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't stop there. He actually restores Peter. He, and he commissions Peter. He commissions Peter to his task. This is amazing. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, you know I do. Jesus doesn't stop and say, do you love me again? There's something before that. He says, feed my lambs. And then he says, Peter, do you love me? And, and Peter says, you know I do. And then he says, take care of my sheep. And that word, take care, the word that, that's translated take care there, is the word for pastor or, or shepherd or leader. Every time Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Reminding him of the fact that he had betrayed him. Even, and Peter just admits it and says, you know that I love you. Jesus, what does he do? He, he affirms Peter. He lifts him up. Every time he says, I want to see you broken, Peter, and Peter opens up and is honest about his brokenness, Jesus drives his affirmation into Peter's heart. You failed me. You know it. I know it. And now that you're admitting it, Peter, I am resurrecting you and recommissioning you to your task, to your, to your calling that I gave you at the very first place. Here's the lesson, okay? Jesus wants us to plunge our failure into his grace so that he can make us greater than we could ever be without him. There's a place where Paul says that the power of Christ is perfected in our weakness. And this is an illustration of that. Jesus, Jesus says to Peter, look, now that you've you've stripped away all the bravado and you've gotten rid of all the, the, the image that you're trying to, to portray and, and uh, project to people. Now that that's all stripped, stripped away, Peter, I can finally use you. Now that you've humbled yourself and be honest about your, your weakness and your smallness and, and your fearfulness, Peter, now I can use you. Now you're useful to me because here's, here's why. You're, you're going to be more understanding of people. You're going to be more compassionate toward people. You're, you're going to be more dependent on, upon me. You're going to be more humble, Peter. And this is precisely what happens to us. When we take our weakness, when we take our, our failures, our, our sin, you know, I got a friend who... I have a friend who, who, who had an addiction to pornography and like no one I've ever seen in my life showed true, true repentance in a most powerful way. I mean, this guy was wrecked. He was so sorry. He hated his sin. He was willing to do whatever it took to change. He, it was unbelievable. The, and the transformation that happened in this guy's life that now, because of that, he is such a profoundly compassionate man. He is such a profoundly understanding man. He has such empathy. Even, you even understand what I mean on a small scale. If there is a thing that you're dealing with and, and you hear about someone else dealing with the same thing you're dealing with, you are naturally more gentle and gracious toward them. It just happens, right? Except to the odd reformed smoker. They become like queer, like crazy zealots or something sometimes. But generally, you become more understanding. You become more compassionate. You become more caring. And you become 
so much more dependent on Jesus Christ. You're less surprised at the failures of others and you become far wiser in how to care for them. And here is Jesus saying that because you have finally been stripped bare, Peter, I can rebuild you into the leadership, into the leader that you have always, I've always had in store for you. And you know, this is, this is just not how things work in our world. A number of you know, like a number of you are professionals. You work in, in, in pretty cutthroat professional contexts. And you know that in those contexts, it's never let them see you sweat. It's never let them know that you're weak. That's not an option. Failure is not an option. You're never, ever, ever supposed to admit that you're weak. You're never, ever supposed to admit that you don't have it all together. And Jesus is saying, if that's the way you're going to behave, that's, that's according to a, a whole model and system of, of living. If you're, that's the way you're going to live, I can't use you. But if you fall on me, then, then, then I will use you mightily. Now, how crazy is that? I, I tell you, man, this is one of the reasons I don't think Christianity is a made-up religion. If you ever wondered if I thought it was a made-up religion, let me tell you, I don't think so. And this is one of the big reasons why. Like, who comes up with that idea? What human being, when you live in a world that says, basically, the strong eat the weak, the, the strong are the ones who survive, you've got you've to build your resume and present it to the world and always show weakness, and, or always show strength and never show weakness, in a world like that, that everywhere in the world says, you've got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Even the religions of the world say, you've got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. There's this one faith that says, no, that's, it's the opposite. It's the complete opposite. Strength comes through weakness. Glory comes through sacrifice. Winning comes through losing. Where do you get that from? You don't get that from anything in the universe. It's got to come from outside. That's, that's the only way I can explain it. What resurrection? You know what this means? Here's the thing. It means that every single one of us losers has a chance. You know how the American dream says anybody can be president? That's such a crock. It's not true. Not anybody can be president. There are so many factors mitigating against the success of the vast majority of people living in the United States. And I'm not just slamming the United States. I'm saying in, in our cultures, in our world. It's run by the powerful elite. But here is this kingdom of God that Jesus ushers in by his resurrection. And it's actually true. Any single one of us losers can be used beyond our wildest imagination in his economy. And Peter is the perfect example. We've been watching Peter as this fickle, up and down, completely neurotic character throughout these past weeks. But if you read the book of Acts, you meet a very different Peter. 
In Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit comes down on, on the disciples, Peter preaches his, his first sermon. And you know what? He's preaching to the same people, the same people who he didn't have the guts to identify himself with Jesus in front of. He's preaching to the same crowd in Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, he's saying to them, you killed the Messiah. You put to death the Son of God himself. He gets dragged in front of the same people that put his Savior to death. And they tell him, you shut your mouth and don't you start talking about this resurrection and that Jesus is Lord. You be quiet or we're going to get you too. And he says, I can't. Do what you got to do. Do what you got to do. And they did. He, he, even fulfill, he even fulfills those rash vows that he made earlier. You know, the vow, I will go to prison for you and I will die for you. Well, it happened. It happened. In 65 AD, Nero arrested Peter. And he was going to be crucified. And as, according to legend, Peter said, I am not worthy of being killed the same way as my Lord. You crucify me upside down. And they did. Because he let Jesus restore him. Because only Jesus could do what Peter couldn't. There is a, an author that I really love, a guy by the name of C.S. Lewis. He's written many things that I like. One of the things that I really like is his Narnia Chronicles series. And in one of those books uh, called The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, there's this character named Eustace. Eustace. Nobody likes Eustace, okay? And you're not supposed to like Eustace. Eustace is a whiny brat. And at one point in uh, the book, Eustace finds um, a dragon that's dead. And it's on a big treasure trove of gold. And he's like, this is awesome. The dragon's dead. I can take the gold. I'll be rich, right? Sweet. He falls asleep on this pile of gold. And he wakes up the next day. And he's like, I'm a dragon. Oh, no. Now I'm a dragon. He turned into a dragon. And it's terrible, and it's horrible. And everybody's afraid of him, and nobody wants to get close to him, and he's lost everything in his life because of his greed uh, uh, and his dragonness. But then he comes across this lion, and the lion is Aslan. And Aslan, for those of you who don't know, he he represents Jesus in the Narnia Chronicles. And this lion has a conversation with Eustace the dragon, and, and it's all written on the front of your bulletin if you want to follow along. The lion said, this is, this is Eustace recounting what happened in this interaction with Aslan. The lion said, I don't know if he spoke, but you will have to let me undress you. Now, why he said that is, is because uh, Eustace was a dragon and he didn't want to be a dragon anymore. And he realized that dragons have skins, kind of like snakes. So he's like, oh, I'll just take off this skin and then I'll be a boy again. So he takes off his skin, steps out of it, and then he looks in, the, in this water and he realizes that he's still a dragon. He goes, oh, I must have a couple of layers on. All right. So he takes off another layer and s- strips it off and then he looks in the water and he's like, what the? I'm still a dragon. Oh, okay. It must be a lot of layers. No problem. He takes another layer off. I don't know. Did he have a zipper or what? What beats me? But he takes it off. He looks in there and he's like, I'm still a dragon. And he begins to despair. And he thinks, no matter how many times I take off this skin, I'm going to be a dragon forever and ever and ever. 
And finally, the lion says, you have to let me undress you. You can't change yourself. And Eustace keeps, keep reading, and Eustace says, I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay flat down on my back to let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff uh, right off, just as I thought I'd done it myself the other three times, but only they hadn't hurt. And there it was, lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there was I, as smooth and soft as a peeled switch and smaller than I had been. Then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that much, for I was very tender underneath now that I had no skin on, and he threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious, and as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm, and then I saw why. I'd turn into a boy again. After a bit, the lion took me out and dressed me in new clothes. That's the gospel. If you don't know this Jesus this way, I'm going to be honest with you. Coming to him will hurt. It'll hurt. There's no way around it because it'll mean admitting some things about yourself that maybe you've spent decades trying to hide. But I promise you, friends, if you will let him undress you, it will be delicious in the end. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of the Son of God that restores us. Thank you for your Son's gracious, uh, patient love with Peter and his gracious, patient love with us. Help us to see, Father, that he already knows, he already knows the depths of our sin and if we would just admit it and admit that we can't change it, he is right there, ready and willing to heal us, to make us new, to change us into new boys and girls living for the King. Do this, we ask, for your glory and for our good. In Jesus we pray, amen.